Our lesson today comes from Matthew 25, starting with verse 1. Uh, My version will no doubt be a little bit different from yours. I'm reading from a version called the Kingdom New Testament that one of my favorite theologians, Tom Wright, uh, was the translator for. Um, And I I like the way that it translated here, but feel free to follow along in, in your version. Then continued Jesus, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten girls who each took their own torches and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were silly and five of them were sensible. The silly ones took their torches but didn't take oil with them. The sensible ones took oil in flasks along with their torches. The bridegroom took his time and coming and they all nodded off and went to sleep. In the middle of the night a shout went up, Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Then all the girls got up and trimmed the wicks of their torches. The silly ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil, our torches are going out. But the sensible ones answered, No, if we do that, there won't be enough for all of us together. You'd better go uh, to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. So they went out to buy oil. But while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. The ones who were ready went in with him to the wedding party, and the door was shut. Later on, the other girls came back. Master, master, they said, open the door for us. I'm telling you the truth, he said, I don't know you. So keep awake, you don't know the day or the hour. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our mouths so that we may know and speak your truth. Lord, all this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, You might have seen on television that show uh, Doomsday Preppers. You know what I'm talking about? It's these guys who, uh, they set up these bunkers and they get these huge stores of ammunition. I'm blaming them for why it's expensive to buy 22 bullets. I don't know if that's fair or not, but it's the reality. they, they get stockpiles of food. They have uh, tanks and tanks of fuel. Some of them even have these militias that they form. And they'll prepare for, I don't know what, the Russians or the Chinese or the North Koreans invading. These crazy scenarios that they make up. And some of them uh, even make preparations that require no electronic equipment because they think that uh, some terrorist might set off an electromagnetic pulse device and that all of our electronic equipment will no longer work. Um, Some build these armored vehicles so that they can be safe and I don't know what you'd need that for. Maybe a zombie apocalypse or something. They watch too much Walking Dead. I don't know. But in general, they make these extreme preparations for the end of the world. It's a really weird show and it's a very American show. Because Americans, we love to think that, you know what, we can be ready for anything. And we're rugged individuals and all we need to do is rely on ourselves and our own ingenuity. And we can, uh, we can be ready for anything. Uh, notice though, in this show, there's a superficial confidence. You know, we've got food for 10 years or whatever. But really, it's a show that's driven by fear. It's people who are very anxious about the future who have perhaps even a knot in their stomach about what, you know, what's going to happen, what happens if the Russians invade, or, or whatever they think might come to pass. And I think a lot of times that we as Christians, when we read passages like this one that we just read, 
uh, and we read passages about the coming judgment of God, we get this knot in our stomach and we're anxious about, well, what does that mean for us? Are we ready or are we ready for, for God to come back? And, and these disastrous things we think will happen. But I don't think that that's the lesson that Jesus wants us to take from this parable. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. In the, the scene here, Jesus has gathered his disciples around him on the Mount of Olives. The, the, this lesson, the story, is a part of the, the last lesson that he will tell before he goes off to die. Jesus knows that his time is coming, and he knows that a time of trial is coming for his disciples. Because he, while he goes off to his death, they themselves will face questions and even persecution. And of course, in the long, uh, their, their lives after uh, his death and resurrection, they will face many, many hardships trying to be faithful to God. And so Jesus is telling them that they need to get ready, that something is going to happen. But he's not telling them you need to get ready and you need to be afraid. On the contrary, he's telling them you need to get ready because what God is coming to do is a great and glorious thing. That this time is coming and, and I'm here to encourage you. You need to get ready. Things are going to happen. And he tells them this story about a wedding. You might notice the first thing you, you, you say about a wedding is a wedding is a happy occasion. This isn't something to be afraid of. A wedding is a cause for celebration and enjoyment. So you, when we start off in this parable, we should say, yes, something good is going to happen. A celebration is at hand that we need to get ready for. Uh, one of the, the key images in the Bible about what it will be like when God returns is that of a wedding. The marriage of heaven and earth. The marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. There will be a wedding feast when the kingdom comes. It's a cause for celebration because the thing that we've been wanting for, that we've been asking for, that we've been praying for and expecting is finally coming to pass. And so it's a celebration like that of a wedding. This is a happy occasion. Now, of course, how we might interpret this wedding depends on the traditions that, that are surrounding a wedding. Every culture has different traditions. Uh, when I lived up north, I noticed that they tended to get married in the evening and then have these big, long celebrations in the evening. And sometimes people do that here. But usually in the South, people will get married in the early afternoon, and then you have, uh, you have great food, and then everybody goes on their merry way. So it's, the, the tradition is a little different. I had some friends from Ireland who got married, and uh, the tradition there apparently is for uh, old ladies to grab unsuspecting Southerners and drag them out into the middle of a, a circle of dancing people and force them to dance. At least that's what happened to me. Great, great fun. D very different tradition than, the, than what we might have here. Every culture has its own wedding traditions. Uh, the tradition in America is for, uh, is for the groomsmen to wear clothes that aren't theirs and for the bridesmaids to wear ugly dresses, or at least that's, that's what I've kind of figured out. Um, every culture has different traditions. Well, the way that weddings worked in this culture, the way, uh, did I say the brides is the bridesmaids? Uh, the, the, the way that um, weddings worked in this culture is that the groom 
would go on this sort of staged journey. And he would meet different groups of celebrants along the way, different people from his family and his community. And he'd go on this journey, and it would last into the night. And the last group that he would come to is the bridesmaids. And they would welcome him by night with lamps and escort him in to the celebration, escort him in to the wedding feast. So that is the scene that Jesus is casting, these bridesmaids waiting for the groom. But that's where it gets interesting, because some of the bridesmaids do as they should, and some don't. Um, Some are, we might say, wise, and the others foolish, your translation might say. I liked uh, the translation that Tom Wright had. Some of them are sensible, and some of them are silly. And it's uh, an image that draws from the, the book of Proverbs, because throughout Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman, lady wisdom, over against the mistress foolishness. And here we have ten examples, five of them wise, five of them foolish. And we're encouraged to follow the example of the wise bridesmaids. But you notice this about these folks. You notice this about the bridesmaids. You know, some are wise and some are foolish, but initially you can't tell who that is. You don't know just by looking at them. We don't find out that some of them haven't made their preparations until the end. And in fact, all of the bridesmaids fall asleep. So none of them are perfect bridesmaids. None of them are perfectly obedient. All of them are falling asleep. And you can't, when they're all there, conked out in the middle, waiting for the bridegroom to come, you don't know which ones have made their preparations and which ones haven't. It's only when the bridegroom shows up that we discover that some of them have been prepared. And so this parable gives us a warning. Don't assume that just because your name's on the invitation that you'll have a seat at the table. Don't assume that just because you've gotten all dressed up that you're going to be a part of the wedding. Don't assume that just because you're a bridesmaid that you're going to get to stand beside the bride and the groom. Or you might say this, don't assume that just because someone throws the label Christian on you that you're actually part of what God is doing, that you've actually responded to him. We don't know until God's judgment actually comes. At least we don't know looking at other people. I think we can know ourselves if the preparations have been made, and that's why Jesus tells the story, to encourage his disciples to be like the wise bridesmaids, to be the ones who know that they have prepared for what God is going to do. Now, I think we get nervous, and I get nervous when I hear that, when I hear, you know, you need to be a wise bridesmaid and not a foolish one, because, you know, sometimes I think I'm pretty wise, but a lot of days I'm not all that wise. Sometimes I pray, and sometimes I'm dedicated, and I might pray five times a day, and I'm on top of it. But then, in a couple of days, maybe I neglect prayer, maybe I forget, maybe I get busy and distracted and behave foolishly. Maybe sometime, you know, some days I'm wise, I'm really good at loving other people, and I'll go out of my way to find someone to care for. But then some days I'm a misanthrope, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's uh, bad traffic or whatever, but I get thrown off and I start to think that everybody's an idiot. Maybe that's like you, not literally everybody. Um, You know, some days I love to help people. I love to go find someone who needs someone to, to take care of them, and I wisely 
go and make that happen. But then some days when someone calls and needs help, it just gets on my nerves. And so some days I'm foolish. Some days I know just the right word to say to someone to encourage them, to lift them up, to help them to be a disciple. And then some days I'll say something foolish that hurts them or hurts someone else. Some days I'm wise, some days I'm foolish, and I don't know if I'm a wise bridesmaid, if I'm a sensible bridesmaid, or if I'm a foolish one, if I'm a silly one. Here's the thing. I think the only way that we can know that, I think the way that we can tell if we're wise or if we're foolish, is if we ask ourselves this question. What difference does it make in my life that I'm following Christ? It's not to say that we have to get everything just perfect. All of the bridesmaids fall asleep. None of them are morally perfect. But some of them have made ready. For some of them, the coming of the bridegroom has made a difference in the way that they have prepared and the way that they have lived. And so I think that we need to dig into our hearts and ask ourselves, is the way that I live, the way that I interact with other people, is it changed by the fact that I believe in Jesus? Is it different? You know, each of us come to the Christian faith with different raw materials. Some people are naturally happy and joyous and smiley, and uh, for them it's easy to sort of show joy. But maybe that's just their disposition. Maybe that's just how they are, and it's not that they've done anything special or have any sort of special relationship with God. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just naturally what comes to them. They have a happy disposition. But, you know, some people struggle with depression or struggle with anger or struggle with uh, just being not a happy person. And we might look at them in church and say, man, that grump, you know, he obviously doesn't really love God because he's just grumpy all the time. That guy's just mean. But we don't know that they have been struggling to be a disciple. We don't know that they're way nicer than they may have been before they ever met God that God has made a difference in their lives that we as an outsider can't judge, but they searching their own heart, and of course God who searches their hearts, knows uh, what has taken place there, knows the difference that has been made. We can't tell just by looking at the group of sleeping bridesmaids who has their oil and who doesn't. But they know. They know by searching their lamp, in this case, or by searching their hearts, if they're the ones who have been changed because of what God is doing with them. They're the ones who it will be shown when the bridegroom comes what sort of difference has been made in their lives. So I think Jesus tells this this parable not to say, watch out, you're going to get yours. You know, it's judgment's coming upon you. Certainly judgment is coming. But he tells his disciples this story to say, make ready, get ready, be the one who... You know, allows God to give you the gift of, of grace that searches your heart and makes a change in your life. That, that to be the person who has been altered by the gospel of Jesus so that you might be called closer and closer and closer to him. You know, there are different kinds of getting ready. And sometimes I think when we hear the phrase get ready, we, um, we think of that in sort of a hypervigilant way. Uh, if you know about a post-traumatic stress disorder, which a, a lot of folks uh, suffer from after an event that has been especially uh, traumatic on them, a lot of folks who, uh, or a lot of folks who have been in the military and have been in combat, will suffer for this. 
for years and years. What happens is that they become hypervigilant. Any sound, any interaction that they might have with another person um, makes them think that you know danger is coming, and it's crippling. They can't behave as they should. They, um, they can't function normally in society. And sometimes as Christians, we suffer from sort of a, a pre-traumatic stress disorder. We think, oh no, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And we get tensed up and we can't love other people and we can't serve other people. And it winds up crippling us. And a lot of so-called Christian media only serves that purpose. I remember growing up, I would see this guy named Jack Van Impey at night on television. And that guy, when I was a young teenager, just scared the dickens out of me because he seemed to know, like, okay, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and the end of the world's coming, there's going to be a tribulation and you're in trouble and there's going to be all of this trouble. But that is, first of all, none of the stuff that I got ever said has come true. It's all, he's all wrong. And we can talk about the theology behind that another, that's a whole other sermon. But we as Christians should expect God's coming not with fear, but with hope. In fact, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, you already asked for Jesus to come back this morning. Because we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for Jesus' return because we want Him to come and set things right. We should look forward to the coming of God with anticipation, with hope, with excitement. It's that kind of readiness. Uh, when you were a kid, you probably felt that way coming up on Christmas. You know that something good is coming. I grew up in a, in a single wide trailer, and my parents' bedrooms uh, bedroom was at the one end, and my brother and I uh, were at the other. And uh, when Christmas came, we had to stand at the threshold of the door and wait until they were ready to get up. And of course, we got up at the bright and early in the morning because we knew that good things were about to happen. We converged together in the middle in the living room. That's when the present was done. So we would get there and we had to stay in our rooms and we would shout to the other end of the trailers like, you know, get up, get up, you know, Christmas. So we wanted, we wanted that to happen. And that's the position of the Christian expecting Christ's return. We're calling for it to happen. We're supposed to not be able to wait for it to happen. That's what it means to get ready. Or maybe it's something like this. Before I went off to, it's called field training, but it's basically boot camp for Air Force ROTC. You know, you're in the, as a freshman and sophomore in college, you're in your first two years, and um, you go on to the senior part of the program by going through sort of the boot camp experience between your sophomore and junior years, typically. And that sophomore year, you spent getting ready. And we had a, uh, a a bunk bed in the detachment at state and you had to make that bed over and over and over and over again because when you showed up at boot camp um, uh, or field training unlike unlike when you're just coming in uh, as an enlisted person they show you what to do they don't tell you what to do when you get there you're supposed to just know you're supposed to know how to make the bed you're supposed to know how to march and how to march other people you're supposed to know the layout of everything. You're supposed to know how exactly your drawers go and all this stuff. And so you practice this over and over and over and over again. So it's just part of you. You live like you're going to be at field training before you're ever there. And for Christians, we're supposed to live like we're in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to live like Jesus has come back before he actually does. The readiness that we have is a readiness to live 
with the confidence in Christ's return. How do we get ready? How do we prepare for doomsday? How do we prep for doomsday? It's not by storing up, you know, a giant tank of gasoline and a million generators and food for for 30 years. That's not how we prepare. In fact, the very opposite. Jesus tells his disciples not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. How do you prepare for the coming of the Lord? You prepare with holy deeds. You prepare by loving your neighbor. You prepare by sharing with others in need as God gives you the grace to do that. You, share, you prepare with faithfulness. You prepare by participating in the community of disciples, the church that God has called together to expect his coming. You prepare for God's coming with prayer. You prepare by praying especially Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You prepare by being an instrument of God's grace and his peace for people who don't know what that's like. In short, you prepare for Jesus' return by living like he's already come back. That's what it means to be ready. That's what it means to get ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Get ready for a celebration Get ready by digging into your heart and asking God to help you grow, to help you love better, to help you serve better, to help you be a better Christian. That's what it means to get ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Let's pray.